So the Buddha in his teachings was very clear from the beginning that part of the experience of being human is that we experience uh, uh, difficulty. We experience um, being uncomfortable. We experience these bodies that no matter what we do, will get sick, they age, they get hurt, uh, they fall apart, and then they die and they go through the process of death. And so in that, um, there's an expectation as human beings to go through discomfort. And there's no way out of that. Even the Buddha after he was enlightened, um, spent time meditating every single day, uh, he had incredible headaches and backaches and in the end died of food poisoning, if you can imagine. And so none of us are... uh, no, no, nobody here and nobody we know has that get out of life's difficulties card. It's a, it's a, it is a guarantee. So I don't mean to start with such bumming news. But this is, this is the reality of things. Now, suffering... Suffering in the way that the Buddha talked about it, uh, dukkha, is something that we add to our experience of being human because we just don't understand. We don't understand, actually, what it is to be human we don't understand or we're not ready to fully accept what it means to be alive. Sometimes these truths that lead to our own demise are a bit too much. Our society in many ways and many, many cultures across the, gro- the, the globe are consumed by this idea that somehow we can escape difficulty and unhappiness and these bodies from from death. There's whole industries that have been designed around this idea, and they're really attractive. This idea is very attractive to us as human beings. We don't really want to face all that. And it's only because of our misunderstanding of it all, of what we're doing here. And so we lay on the experience of being human, we lay on this tightness, we lay on our unsatisfactoriness, our wanting for it to be different, our not wanting for it to be the way that it is. And so we end up in this rigid relationship with our humanness that is dukkha, suffering. And because we uh, understand our world in this way and we act accordingly, we think accordingly, we speak accordingly, we create this, these causes and conditions that continue on, and it is kind of this force that pushes us through life that just creates more and more of this dukkha. We end up in a cycle of dukkha. And so some of our, our mental states, some of this uh, tightness and solidity around um, our idea of who we are as human beings... Uh, There's deep karma there. There's so many causes and conditions that bring us to this point in time. Um, It's hard to see clearly because of it. 
It's hard to stop that current that we're currently in. And so when we engage in a practice like this, it's why it's considered uh, so radical and truly against the stream of that current, the current of this particular karma that we're all in right now. When we start to get more clear in the moment about what we're really experiencing, we can start to see that there's aspects of that we're adding to our experience that we can we can halt, we can stop. We don't have to keep feeding the cycle of dukkha. And this is when we start to have more clarity. We start to wake up a little bit. And it starts with our practice, usually. Um, for some of us, it starts before. For some of us, we experience such intense dukkha that we realize, okay, it's either death or we got to find something else because this is not working. And so there's an aha moment in that really intense difficulty. How many of you have come to this practice because of your suffering? Yeah, not everybody, but a lot of you. And I knew that was going to be the response. Because for most of us, if we're doing really just kind of okay, there's no reason to look at this stuff. We can kind of just keep cruising through. Most of us, though, have enough dukkha behind us and have realized to some degree that the way we've been operating is just not relieving any of that. And so we look for something else. So we start to wake up to our patterns and we start to see a little bit clearer how we're creating more dukkha in each moment. And so within every experience that we have, it's said that uh, we perceive it as either pleasant or unpleasant or something kind of neutral in between. So you could think of it as on the spectrum of, uh, you know, at one end is blissed out, amazing, so, so happy, ridiculously happy, and on the other side is misery, hell, (laughs) you know, really uncomfortable, you know, physical experience. So there's this this spectrum of pleasant, unpleasant, and then it all kind of comes to the center of neutral. Most of our experience is somewhere in the middle, something really neutral. Most of us are not living in these great extremes all the time, although maybe it feels that way sometimes. We kind of bounce back and forth. Most, if you're really looking and tracking moment by moment by moment, it's pretty neutral in there. It's why we don't notice it. It's just not dramatic enough. So, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The way we're experiencing has something to do with our karma or um, another way of putting it is, you know, our, our... Um, past experiences, our memories, um, uh, our perspective um, kind of clouds a little bit or or, um, uh, creates a lens of whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. But then it's what we do with that pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, where we start to really see our patterns of creating more difficulty for ourselves. So if it's really unpleasant. You know, let's say you hurt your knee and you're sitting here and your knee is just screaming at you and it's really painful. Okay, so you have knee pain. But then it's our relationship with that knee pain that comes in. We don't want it. Aversion. I don't want this here. It shouldn't be happening. Uh, You know, just the whole... um, uh, then follow up of I, that was such a stupid thing I did last week. I could have really prevented this this accident, or so and so you know made me hurt my knee, or you know it's Kate. She's making us sit too long. This is all her fault. You know, and we start going into these thoughts and these emotions start to bubble up from it, uh, and we're just creating a lot of dukkha around something that is unpleasant but it is just knee pain. 
It's discomfort in the body. Can't do much about that, maybe, in the moment. But it's the relationship with it that we can catch. Oh, there it is. That's what I'm adding. Pleasant. There can be a lot of suffering in pleasant. Uh, It could be as simple as experiencing um, just an incredible... Uh, meditation, everything is calm, concentrated, the mind is just uh, collected and peaceful, and all it takes is that one thought of, oh, i got to make this last. And there's this tightening around the moment that happens, and suddenly the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> we start, all of a sudden, that's all it takes, and our mind is fed in a different direction, and begins to think about, you know, who we're going to tell about our incredible meditation and who we're going to bring here because if I'm having this meditation, they will have this meditation and they need this meditation. (laughs) And it just goes on from there. And then all of a sudden, you're off in a totally different experience than you were a moment ago. Or things are going so well. How about just in life? Things are just kind of lining up and going really well. And then that thought comes in of, you know, what if it doesn't last? (laughs) And we start to worry. We start to worry about things going well and not lasting. And it's true. They won't last because nothing lasts. But we add this anxiety to it. So even in the pleasant, um, we can create a lot of dukkha. And then the neutral zone, we're just completely clueless half the time. We miss it completely. Um, You know, a breath can just seem so trivial. Our breath is all we've got. That's what tells us we're alive. But we don't really relate to it like that when we're experiencing. It's kind of boring. It's not really doing anything. My thoughts are a lot more interesting. My emotional state is more interesting than this. Uh, so we miss the sweetness of just being right here with that really sweet breath, that in-breath and out-breath that tells us we're alive. So a lot of dukkha gets created in this way. And it's not because we choose to. We're not choosing to do this, really. We're pretty unconscious to it. And even when we are conscious to it, Our habit energy behind it is so strong, it's really hard to break. So it takes practice to start catching ourselves. Oh, I'm adding anxiety and worry to this. That's not necessary. Oh, I'm, you know, really aversive to this experience right now. Maybe that's not so necessary. In all of it is this this solidifying of the self that happens. Um, I was thinking about what what that reminds me of, the solidifying of, of the self. And what I came up was, with was a memory from childhood that I'm hoping others have experienced. Um, did any of you make goo uh, when you were kids where you take the cornstarch and a little bit of water? Is this familiar? And it makes that... <laughs> And it makes that um, kind of thick liquid uh, um, goo, and all. <laughs> and so it's a it's a lesson in uh, in kind of challenging our idea of what is a liquid and what is a solid, something like that. And so it's it's this thick liquid, but all it takes is a little bit of pressure, and it solidifies. And we're like that. It just takes a little bit of tightening and rigidity around who we are. This idea of, what does this mean about me? How does this affect me? I am this now. Uh, Everyone's going to know this about me. What's everyone thinking about me now? And it's a lot of me in there happening. And every time, it just we just solidify in a very fluid world. This is the rub of dukkha. This is the friction that we create that is dukkha. 
not being in the flow of things because we become so rigid around these experiences. Uh, This is the clinging that happens when we talk about the Four Noble Truths and that the reason uh, we are at the cause of our dukkha is because we cling. This is the clinging. It's to the sense of self. And so another way of putting this uh, is thinking about um, how often we experience something that's hard or unpleasant and add to it as, uh, the, as the second dart. This is traditionally called the second dart. So the first dart is, you know, the unpleasant. It's something that maybe we can control. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a mental formation. Maybe it's a, uh, a really deep habit that we have in our mind, you know, you know, the old classics of I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, nobody likes me, um, uh, I'll never get what I'm really looking for, all those kind of doubtful um, old classics. Uh, or maybe it's more of a physical discomfort that shows up. And so they arise. And we don't ask them to come. We're not asking for any of this. They come. This is just part of our mind. And they come, and then we go, there I am. And we solidify around it. We add to it. Oh, and it means something about us. Uh, My body's falling apart because, you know, I'm not as great as that other person in my life who who runs every day. Or, um, you know, the thought comes up, and we believe in it. Yes, that is so true about me. I'm just kind of this miserable person, and I always will be. And that's the second dart. We just start to add these, uh, like we're shooting ourselves in the foot over and over again. Sometimes we know it's not just a second dart. We might have ten that just pile up, and suddenly we're in this tangle of experiences, and it's really hard to untangle it and see clearly what's really going on, which usually has something to do with not understanding, being in the midst of uh, aversion to what's happening, feeling like it shouldn't be happening. Fear is often at the heart of whatever it is that's tangled up in there. But we don't see that when we're in the middle of it. And so how we approach this, these cycles and these tangles when we finally catch it is really important because we can either continue that cycle of dukkha and just have it keep mounting until we're just so stressed out or we're so miserable and, and depressed or um, overwhelmed. You know, just keeps mounting. Or we can stop it. Uh, and I think by stopping it, it takes a level of tenderness and care. It takes being able to turn towards the difficult in a way that is really gentle. We can't keep pounding at it. You know, this shouldn't be here. Go away. What do I need to do to make you go away? It's just going to create more of a tangle and put more of its armor on. It's not going to let any healing or understanding or release happen. Um, Some of you know that I was uh, traveling in in Mexico not that long ago, and um, we were in the Sea of Cortez. And on one of the beaches, it was just covered with hermit crabs, big ones and these huge, incredible shells. It, It almost looked like, Someone had set this up for us when we showed up, but there was nobody there. It was just this beach that nobody was at, and it was just covered in these hermit crabs. And um, and they're walking along on the sand. These are the sand kind, not the water kind. Apparently, there's two different kinds. These are the land kind. And um, my son, who is two, of course, just wants to run up and see, you know, what's in there. And the minute he picks them up and he's kind of rough with it, the thing kind of goes in to its its shell. 
And that is that image to me is exactly what we do when we are uh, self-judgmental, when we are cruel to ourselves, when we're not listening and patient with ourselves, with our tangle, with our dukkha, our discomfort. We just kind of stick up all of our armor. Uh, We find ways not to look at it because it's not safe with a mind like that to be with our difficult. And so with the hermit crabs, uh, what we found was that if we put them on our hand and we just held them, we held them really gently and quietly, and we just waited, we were patient, that slowly, slowly they would come out of their shell and then they'd walk along your hand and then plop down on the sand and go on their way. But it took a real stillness and really an availability to just be there. And this is, this is the same with what is required often when we find ourselves in our, our darkest places, our most difficult places, is this patience, this uh, tenderness towards the difficult. This is really counterintuitive for most of us. Most of us see us ourselves struggling, and what do we do? We're just, you know, we get hard and frustrated about it. We feel like we should be doing better, like everybody else. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense, because <laughs> we're all doing this. We're all in our own tangle. Some of us wear it better than others. (laughs) Some of us have untangled quite a bit. But we understand the tangle really well. Because this is part of being human. And so it takes this availability and this softness to actually turn towards it. Uh, Just like you might a hermit crab, or you might... uh, Maybe it's, it makes more sense to think of it as a small child who is really upset. Uh, maybe this is a grandchild. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a stranger's child. Whichever one is easier to be compassionate towards when they're really <laughs> upset. It's that tenderness of, oh, it's okay. I'm here. I'm here. And it's in that tenderness that we can sometimes provide the safety that we're requiring. Uh, We can provide this really strong sense of compassion and wisdom, even if in the center of it all, it just feels like a hurricane. There can be something else that holds it, even in the midst of all that inner chaos and turmoil that can come to the edges and say, okay, wow, you're really big (laughs) and scary. But something bigger in each of us can just hold it in a really light and tender way if we know how, if we're ready to be available in this way. And this, I feel like, is what this practice is teaching us to do, to stay with whatever is in the moment even the incredibly difficult. And to stay in that incredible difficulty requires our compassion and our care. So I'd love to take you through a practice that I developed for myself going through uh, incredible difficulty. And it's evolved over different periods of my life going through a lot of difficulty. I came to this practice because of incredible grief, of, of a lot of death and loss. And uh, for the first number of retreats, I um, had to process a lot of that grief. Um, I remember one retreat where I thought I was done with all that. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how grief works, right? You think, God, that was so long ago. And then all of a sudden, there's just that availability 
and that space and safety and it just flows back in. And I just remember being on a retreat and seeing it. And at that point, I had been practicing for some time. And I knew I could just kind of, oh, okay, here you are again. And just kind of hold it within myself. And I remember sitting up in the meditation posture on my bed in the retreat center. And just like with the most tenderness I could muster, taking a hand to my arms and just slowly massaging and just having that real tenderness of touch because it was just felt like that's what I needed. I didn't have to fix the grief, but just be really present in this really caring way and allowing it to just flow through. Uh, There's been retreats where I've sat with intense rage and anger And I know when I sit up here, I don't seem like a rageful person. But I am a human being, and I have that potential. (laughs) And have sat with that. And even with, with that kind of experience, oh, so uncomfortable to be, especially sitting in a meditation hall where everyone seems like they've got it together, and and the body's just like, oh. And I just remember just, okay, a voice of, let's sit with this. Let's just be with this. And it was a voice of, okay, I'm ready. But it was also a a voice of availability and care that knew how to just be, be there with it. This tenderness, stress, um, frustration, overwhelm, sadness, all of these emotions that end up coming up when we are in uh, a difficult time. Uh, Going through mental scenarios over and over again, reliving some difficulty, that we can bring this this, uh, tenderness to our mental state of storytelling. Um, And just really seeing it sometimes when it's really repetitive like that, it's asking you, it's begging you, just pay attention to me with some care. Sometimes, sometimes that's all it needs. Other times it needs more. Um, Our physical body, oh, it puts up with so much and we're so ungrateful most of the time. And so to take time to even put our hands on our, our knees that hurt so much or onto our shoulders and our back and just, ah, bring some tenderness instead of the frustration and lack of patience. Um, it's just these human experiences, these human lives. There's so many possibilities for diff- for difficulty. So we can include all of that, I think. I, I don't know of anything yet that doesn't um, benefit from some tenderness and some care, some compassion. So, um, so let's do this practice. And for some of you, if you are, if the body allows for it and it, and it feels right, especially if you've been going through a lot of grief um, or a lot of like anxiety-type feelings, worry. Um, for this time only, I'm going to invite you to lay down. And because we are in uh, a monastery, um, uh, there's some cultural respectfulness that we have to keep in mind, and that is to not point your feet at any of the Buddha statues. And so you can point them at the walls here or to the sides. You do the best that you can and use your intention to point away. I know they're everywhere. (laughs) But you just do your best um, with the intention of not creating um, harm in that way. Um, And and you might even grab a blanket to, if you don't want to lay down, you might just uh, put yourself in a blanket uh, or put one over your legs. Um, if you don't want to do any of that, then finding a posture that's really relaxing. So you might sit back in your chair, um, really sit sit in your in on your cushion in a way that is relaxed.
That's great. Oh, I'm so glad so many of you are taking me up on that one. You don't have to, it's not required, but for some, it makes a really big difference just to feel that much ground under your body. And it's okay to put your knees up. I see some of you taking care of your backs. That's great. Putting the knees up can help your low back if that's a problem. If you're not laying down, just feeling the support of whatever it is that you're sitting on. That's great. And then next, I invite you to um, bring hands to either your heart center. Uh, sometimes it feels really good to almost like give yourself a hug, like I was demonstrating, you know, massaging the arms and just having that presence there. Maybe there's a physical area of the body like I was saying, the knees, that it's just needing some extra care. You can put your hands there. Um, it might be at the belly. You know, we hold a lot of um, confusion, I think, in our stomach area. A lot of our uncertainty seems to show up there. And then if, that, if all of that sounds too much... Just having a hand in a hand, almost like you're holding your hands and have that sense of tenderness, of touch. Let your eyes close. And you might start by feeling the whole body sitting here or laying here. Bringing again attention to the areas that make contact with the floor. Feeling that earth element, that groundedness. That support of the body. You might like to breathe a little bit deeper than usual. You can breathe in a deep way without it being loud. You know, sometimes we have the yoga breaths. And actually, sometimes that can be really helpful. I think for right now, so that we're all getting what we're needing, we'll just keep our breath more on the quiet side. But at home, you know, even just... Letting out a big sigh can be helpful. You might bring to mind just what are the dukkhas present in life right now. It doesn't have to be a scenario necessarily, but you might have one that pops into mind really easily. It might just be a feeling of fatigue, of impatience, of stress. Sometimes it feels like a, like being disconnected from the things that you really do value and care about. You might notice where you hold that in the body and breathe into that area. be really helpful to sometimes name if there's a particular emotion or mental state to actually name what it is mental states meaning usually meaning the hindrances so that aversion uh, desire for something that's not here uh, for uh, or Um, restlessness, anxiety, worry. 
The third one is sloth and torpor, which might show up as exhaustion. It might show up as a numbness or that unwillingness to be present with the difficulty. And then the last one is doubt. The last classical one is doubt, just that that self-doubt or a doubt in any of the wisdom that you've held dear just kind of sneaks its way in. See if you can breathe into these areas of the body. Sometimes we can even get a sense of the mind, breathing through the mind, clearing it out. Breathing in what we need, more safety, more time, patience, love, care, tolerance, acceptance. Breathing out as we ease and relax around the difficult can be really helpful to imagine the tangle or imagine this dukkha and not feeling like in this moment you have to fix it or get rid of it. Notice if there's something that's kind of like, yeah, but if I breathe just a little bit deeper, maybe it'll just go away. Or if I name it with the right label, maybe that will do the trick. See if instead you can almost, as much as feels safe, hold it closely. Hold it with tenderness or that that open hand, just like the hermit crab. Just allowing it to be seen and known. Keep breathing with it. In the suttas, the Buddha when uh, um, kind of a difficult, a classical difficulty of doubt usually uh, would arise. It would come in the form of Mara. And so Mara is this um, archetype for our tangle, our dukkha, uh, really our confusion. And oftentimes the Buddha would see Mara coming down the road uh, about to try and trip the Buddha up. And he would say, I see you, Mara. And Mara would either go, oh, and stomp off or kind of disappear. And so sometimes it's just saying, I see you. That is the most tender thing that we can do, just recognizing it. with that openness, that open hand. You don't have to solidify around it. Just see, oh, this is another arising of my experience of being human. It comes and it goes. It changes. If it's feeling overwhelming, it's too much, you can always open your eyes. And just seeing if uh, you can just be present in the room in some way. Another way of doing it is just imagining your awareness way out on the edges of the difficulty. It doesn't need to go to the heart of it. 
relaxing along the edges. And then lastly, sometimes as we do this, a lot moves through because we're not holding so tight. And it can be really helpful to imagine if there's any residue that just seems old or unnecessary at this point. You can just imagine it going down into the earth, going down into the ground below you. You can breathe in a way that helps just release that excess. And then be still. Sometimes our neighbors fall asleep. And we can extend our tenderness to them because they're probably getting what they really need. bell, but don't just pop out of it. See if you can just be present to the sound of the bell. And then when you no longer hear it anymore, you can start to move your body and open your eyes and come back up to your sitting posture if you're on the floor. So something to know about a tenderness practice is that it makes us tender. It tenderizes us a little bit. (laughs) You know, we can spend a lot of time with our armor up. And this is asking for that armor to be softened and thinned out. It's not gone, (laughs) but it's, it might be a little bit thinner. It might have gone down for just a moment. And so we can feel that tenderness, the tender heart sometimes. Now, not all of you are experiencing this. Some of you may have been like, I have no idea what that was. (laughs) And that's fine. But some of you might be experiencing that tenderness of heart. The Buddha, um, actually, was it the Buddha? Nope, I don't think it is. I don't think I can give him credit for this one. I wonder if it's in the Sufi tradition. There's a way of speaking, or it might be in the Tibetan tradition. I'll look it up later, but a way of um, talking about um, compassion as uh, uh, the heart um, actually having a, um, being touched in a way that it actually trembles. Like it's this uh, trembling of the heart. 
uh, in response to suffering. And not in a fearful way, but in this responsive way. You know, we can feel the dukkha. And our heart feels that when it's present and open and available in this way. And that it doesn't have to be something to fear. That it's actually, I think, often an important part of this practice, of becoming used to uh, that heart tenderness in response of in response to the dukkha um, sometimes it feels fragile or really vulnerable but uh, and and there might be truth to that because maybe it's a state that you're not used to so that might be that might be kind of true but it's okay it's a vulnerability and a tenderness that's really okay and it's part of the process of detangling all of that um, habit and dukkha and suffering. It's what allows us, once we're used to it, to stay present with the difficult and have confidence in being able to. Because we know that that tenderness is okay. Sometimes it feels like that tenderness is a sign of being somehow annihilated You know, have you ever come face to face with your dukkha or your fear? Just fear, we'll call it just fear. And there's this feeling like uh, we might just kind of be obliterated if we stay in that state. Um, Over time, we start to realize that that's not true, that our resilience is so much stronger than we may know. And we can begin to trust that as our armor goes down and thins out, that what's behind it isn't just nothing. What's behind it is a lot of wisdom and compassion and capacity to be with the whole range of the human experience. And it's in that confidence that we stay steady in all of it. So we have a little bit of time uh, for questions and comments. Uh, Maybe we can take just a few. And we do have the mic, uh, which is really helpful because this is being recorded. Um, When you talked about massaging yourself, it reminded me several years ago, uh, a very good friend of mine was having a lot of uh, problems and was very tense. and, And I suggested she go for a massage, and she said, you don't understand. Some of us like our knots. <laughs> well, but I mean, it's, it's, and I was thinking that about these tangles, you know. Yeah. Some of us have lived with our tangles for so long, it's kind of hard to tell where we stop and the tangles begin. It's, yeah, you know, it's a part of ourselves. We're, you know? we're so identified with a lot of it that sometimes we get to places where we have to really ask ourselves, am I ready to be free of my suffering? And sometimes the answer might come up as, no, not really. I kind of like this part of the drama. (laughs) I don't know what I am without it. And that's where the fear comes in. That's really where the fear comes in, is this idea of what am I without this? And there's this big question mark underneath it all. And so fear arises. But as what we find, the further and further we we clear all that, uh, we find that that it's not it's not that we just disappear in some way. What's really incredible, uh, I find anyway, I find that myself and others um, uh, who've been practicing for a while in, in deep ways, you you don't you don't lose who you are. You become it's almost like you become more of who you are. Uh, it's like you're removing all the excess stuff, um, almost like uh, you're looking. You've been kind of functioning through uh, a layer of of glass that's smudged and um, has you know uh, layers of dirt on it, and you're just kind of clearing that away. And what's left is just actually more of you. 
but in but just not carrying all of that that excess. Uh, people that we know, and you know, not personally necessarily, but you know, who seem to to have things a little bit more figured out, um, they seem so happy and light. You know, the Buddha was considered the happy one. There's a lightness um, to to people's being when when there's that level of freedom, and uh, I think that's more of what happens as we we get lighter in some way. Yeah. Thank you. Maybe, uh, maybe one or two more. Mm. Maybe that's enough. Okay. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your attention this evening. We'll dedicate the merit. Uh, So dedicating the merit uh, simply means um, first acknowledging that when we come together in this way and we practice and we listen to the Dharma, um, we're cultivating uh, um, ourselves in this way. That, um, you know, we might come here for ourselves. Most, most usually that's, that's the deal. We come here for our own benefit. But uh, something else happens. It has this ripple effect that goes out into the world. Uh, as we become more understanding and clear and compassionate, that affects the people in our lives, the people who are closest to us, the ones we care about most. It affects the people we interact with throughout our day. It affects people in our community. And I I feel that it goes even further than that in ways that we just don't even understand. And so in that spirit, we dedicate the um, wholesomeness and the benefits of our time here together to all beings everywhere. And wish that all beings everywhere, may all beings be happy and content in their lives, may all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.